Get ready for some expert advice. Hunter Austin, co-founder and managing partner of Kelly Austin Salesforce Solutions, joins us to talk about how to turn small and medium-sized business growing pains into gains. Uh, Hunter is here to share his knowledge on how Salesforce, it's a fabulous platform, by the way, uh, can help businesses in various uh, industries from finance, construction, uh, communication, education, healthcare, and tech to scale up and maximize their ROI with their CRM. So don't miss out on this opportunity to grow your business painlessly uh, with Hunter. So Hunter, welcome to the show. Sabir, thanks. Really appreciate it. Looking forward to the discussion today. So before we get started, I would like to I would like the audience to kind of get to know you more. Uh, so if you could tell us your kind of your superhero back backstory and and uh, about you, and then how did you get into uh, Salesforce Solution? Yeah, absolutely. So uh, my story is one that now a lot of people have have actually started to fall into over the over the last couple of years in terms of learning about the Salesforce industry and teaching themselves Salesforce so that they can go get a job in the ecosystem. But mine started back in, in 2014. So I actually have my brother-in-law and co-founder uh, to thank for it. But he was in-house at, um, at a company where Salesforce kind of fell on his plate to be the owner. He later then went to a consulting firm that was doing primarily Salesforce stuff. And, and I was at, at a job that I just, I wasn't really happy with doing, um, I was doing corporate sales in uh, sports and entertainment sponsorships. And it was fun, but anyone who's worked in sports and entertainment understands that it's not as glamorous as it sounds. It's, it's long hours and, and little pay. So um, Trailhead had just come out from Salesforce. And those, for those of you that don't know, Trailhead, Trailhead is a, a free online learning class that Salesforce provides so that people can go and learn about the different products and how to implement them from an end user perspective or admin perspective, et cetera. It's grown tremendously over the last eight, nine, 10 years, but back then it was just getting started. So they had just started rolling this out. So my brother-in-law Waylon said, hey, why don't you sign up for an account, get on here and, and see if you like it, right? Learn how to do it. You're good with technology. You know, See if it's something you're interested in. So I started working through those at, at night. So I'd get home from work and from six to midnight, I would get on trailhead and teach myself Salesforce until I got to the point where I convinced his current firm to hire me, right? Gave them no choice. I went and got my certifications. I proved, hey, look, I've put in the time. Give me a chance here. So I started at that firm. My, my brother-in-law and I worked together there. Um, I started on the implementation side where I was doing um, a lot of the, the build out and running projects. And I quickly realized that I found myself leaning more towards the front end of the process. So mm -hmm. meeting new customers, understanding their challenges, helping scope out those projects, opposed to like actually getting in and running the projects. I always joke that um, I'm really good at, at buying drinks and buy, <laughs> buying dinner than I, than I am more the tech. Waylon, my brother-in-law has always kind of been the, uh, the, the tech side of, of the house. So I found myself really enjoying that side of things, but the, the benefit that I brought to the sales side is that I had the experience in the implementation side. So what we see a lot of times across the tech industry, but across multiple industries, is that the people selling don't understand how the product actually works too from an implementation side. And that's the real benefit that, that I've brought and that our firm brings when we show up is that even the salespeople you talk to can speak to the, the implementations and the products at a technical level for you. So that kind of gave us an advantage. 
we, we later worked at another firm together. Um, I started a, a small business on the side outside of Salesforce, just as kind of a personal thing. It was a fitness studio. I sold that and then later found myself back in the industry. Uh, we started this firm, Kelly Austin, uh, just shy of two years ago. Um, we recently- Perfect timing. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I know. Um, tough time to, to build a business with COVID, but good time with technology because of the kind of jump off point. So I don't know, both good, both good and bad. Um, but we, we recently became the fastest partner to reach gold status. So Salesforce tiers their partners based on growth and certifications and expertise. Um, so it's something we were really proud of. We did it in under 18 months. Uh, so the fastest of, of about 2000 partners worldwide. So um, it's, it's been a fun journey so far and it's really cool to see, uh, the different customers that we've helped work with and kind of build out and, and grow and scale. So in your bio, I, I, uh, read off that you work with small to medium sized businesses. And I ask uh, every guest that, that, that works in that kind of a segment, how small is small and what is medium, <laughs> right? You're, yeah. you're in a kind of a weird spot. So how do you define uh, what a small business is versus a, cause I have other terms too, micro sure. businesses and tiny businesses and side hustles, you know, to yeah. small businesses. And then you have small to medium growing and then, and then you have medium sized businesses. And then when do you go from being a, a medium to being a large company? Right. It's always, sure. you know, it's like just when you, as a kid, when you know that, you know, you aced it as a toddler and then boom, you're a preteen now. You have to worry about that. And then when you thought that you were good being a preteen, now you're a teenager. Yeah. Just when you got a handle over it, boom, you're in college and, and now you're post-teen, you know? Sure. And, and, and now you're in your 20s and you have to deal with that. I, I think I'm just using that as an, an analogy. But when you're going through businesses, each one of these stages have different, uh, different pains, different challenges that you have to overcome as an owner. But on, on top of that, your your needs as far as technology goes, right? Uh, like partner, you know, utilizing platforms like Salesforce, Demandware, Shopify, and all of these kind of things, your needs are very different at, at every one of these stages. So, uh, you know, QuickBooks may have worked for you when you started your side hustle. Uh, it, it's no longer the right solution for you because it just doesn't cater to your needs right now as, as a growing company. So how do you define small business versus, uh, you know, and when they grow up to be a medium and then what's a medium sized business. And then after that, when they grow. So there's, there's a lot of different metrics you can use to categorize it, categorize it, right? What, like you alluded to some people use revenue. Some people use employee count. Some people use just, just, um, like how long the company's been around, right? Like even if a company's 500 employees, if it's only been around for 18 months, People could still say that's a, you know, a small to medium sized business growth business, whatever it may be. Um, so the way we categorize it is the same way Salesforce categorizes it because we're so tied at the hip with them. And that's by employee count. All right. So small to medium sized business, the way Salesforce sees it is really between. Um, so there's different segments broken up in, inside of that even, but. The way I think of it is between zero and 200 employees is how they kind of categorize SMB. And then they move up what they call commercial. So that's 200 employees all the way up to 4,500 employees. So we kind of play uh, the, the way the Salesforce partner ecosystem works in just the way people buy consulting in general is that there's kind of a, in a, in a head count you have to have as a consult, consulting firm. 
in order to work with larger companies, because otherwise you just don't have the bench strength or the expertise to handle all of their needs, right? So you kind of move up as the firm gets more employees, more expertise, you can move up in the company size that you work with. To answer your question, current day, majority of our companies are, that we work with are between 100 and 1,000 employees, but we have a great benefit of having several enterprise customers. It's not something we target because we're not Accenture, we're not PwC, right? The, the, those enterprise firms, your AT&Ts of the world, those types of companies, right? They're mainly working with, with large consulting firms. But we do have some where we've got personal relationships. So we can see how they're operating and use our expertise from there and then relay it down to the other companies we work with and say, hey, prepare for this coming, right? Like you guys might not be there yet. It might not be a challenge today, but it will be tomorrow. And it's better if you handle it now from an architectural perspective, product perspective, et cetera. And then on the flip side of that, we've had the benefit of working with five employee companies. And we've seen some do really well who either have a founder who, who understands technology or, or the benefit and they invest in heavy upfront so that they can do more with less people from the beginning, opposed to kind of hitting that 100, 200 employee mark and then saying, whoa, our processes are all in the wrong place. We're using 20 different tools. How do we consolidate now? We work with some founders who have done it before and they get out in front of it. So we're, we have the benefit of, of understanding both ends of the spectrum, even though our kind of bread and butter is that 100 to 1,000 employee mark. So how do you believe like when, when it comes to, and I'm a technologist, I mean, I have very heavy background in technology, software development, stuff like that, right? That's my... That's my training from college, my my childhood, everything like that, you know, so I have plenty of sure. that. But how do you believe that like technology and software like Salesforce can can help small to medium sized businesses grow without pain? Let's talk about the pain side of it. If you don't have it, let's talk about that and then and then put some lotion on it because, with, with Salesforce. Sure. So. The pain that we see for the small, medium-sized businesses is that they don't have the, enough people to throw at the problems, right? So a lot of our bigger companies, they, they have issues and they just throw people at it, right? They've got the headcount, they've got the, the hiring budget. So even if it's a problem that should be fixed from a technology perspective, they just throw people at it until they get there anyways. The small to medium-sized businesses don't have the chance, don't have the opportunity to do that. So when you're scaling sales faster than your customer support can handle it, you've got to go to the technology side, right? Especially what we've been dealing with the past 18 months to two years, trying to hire in roles like that, where it's customer support. You know, what, what do you do? You, you literally can't find enough people to support your clients. So then what happens? Churn with clients, poor customer experience, and it can, it can damage your brand before you even get to a thousand employees. So being able to get, solve some of those problems with technology when it comes to things like self-service, Right? How do we get people more answers up front without needing to talk to someone or hitting someone before a problem even happens? So uh, a big push for us with marketing automation is get to that client before they even run into an issue. Right, You know these 100 clients have all dealt with the same issue. Send over an email to your group of new people letting them know in onboarding this issue might come up. Here's how you handle it. And then you attack it before it even happens. So it's on the marketing side, side ahead of times. It's self-service and allowing for that. But that's the big difference that we see is you just don't have the people to, to throw at some of those pains. Um, so then the technology can really help. 
Yeah, I mean, one one example, and I, I would like you to use more examples, right? So that as we di dive more into it, um, uh, I can tell you from my experience, right? There was a um, uh, one company I worked with about 12 years ago, I would say now 10, 10 or 12 years ago. Um, whenever the sales and marketing did an amazing job of driving consumer sales, right? Black Friday, Cyber Monday, stuff like that, right? The... Um, the, the solution was uh, when we didn't have enough people in the warehouse, everybody in the company was staffed in, in one of the aisles at, in the warehouse to pick, pack, and ship. Everybody. It didn't matter you were a VP, janitor, doesn't matter. Everybody was in the warehouse. Everybody was helping out, right? And this was, I would say, small to medium-sized business brand, right? So that's that's how, like, even though, uh, in their case, uh, one way to handle that throwing people problem, it was not that they increased their headcount, they just shifted the people. Obviously, now you're asking, uh, 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 I don't know, $200 an hour <laughs> VP or SVP to right. go pick back and ship that could be done for $15, $20 per hour, right? Sure. But when you're in trouble and everybody else has hired holiday help, what do you do, right? I mean, that was their creative solution of, of handling that. And uh, and I know I've known several brands that actually do that, but I but your your statement is quite different, right? It's like we we need to hire more people. We need five more people to handle this specific situation. IT says, oh, you know what? We can work on a solution. It will take us three months. That that would do fifty people's job, and it will do it more process oriented with proper workflow. But like, oh, we don't have three months. We need to hire people right now because our pain is right now. Sure. And, and that's where, you know, we, we push people to, to, to like take a step back and, and think about solving the problem long-term for scale purposes, right? Just hiring more people can't, can't be the answer. So we just worked with a, a technology firm, FinTech firm, and their goal is to double customers in the next 18 months, okay? They had a support team of five, five to, in, in to double customers. They did not want to have to then invest in double the support staff because and it's really not uh, it's really not one-to-one -one, right like as you go over certain thresholds with customers that actually multiplies on that customer support staff because you've got more people those problems tend to multiply and then you're, you're rolling out new features as well so then the old people still have the old customers still have issues coming up right so what we did is we we got into their platform and built out um a self-service portal where their customers can go in to their, their platform that they typically work out of, but then they've got this whole section around knowledge articles. We introduced Einstein. Um, so Salesforce's product is Einstein chatbot, but just a chatbot, right? Where we're surfacing specific articles based on keywords, those types of things, we're doing all of these things to try to reduce this amount of, um, amount of human contact that's going to have to happen as they scale, which was smart. They're still going to have to hire some support staff, but it cuts down a, an immense amount and then allows your best support team to be able to do more, right? So they're, they're really happy with their current support team. They've got really good employees, but they're over here chasing password resets and, and, and little easy things, right? Spending time on it instead of spending time on these level two issues that, that need human support. So what can we take care of level one with technology that then allows us to enable our really good employees to do the things that, that they have to do, right? Where, where technology just hasn't caught up quite yet. 
Um, so that's what we did specifically with that company, and it's made a huge improvement. Yeah, I mean, the, the people, uh, you know, solving problems with people, more people, right? One, one of the other challenges with that is that um, new people require training, right? They may be amazing at their previous job, but in this job, they have to have that context that the best team does because they have not worked with you before. This is their day one, you know? Yeah. And until even the smartest people, you, you still need to train them for them to get to a level that is acceptable, not best, just acceptable, you know? Sure. So the efficiency of adding five more people to that FinTech company to, to because you're doubling your clients you know, to get double the customer support staff, your efficiency is not going to be 2x. Your efficiency is going to be maybe 65%. Right. So yeah. maybe 65, 70, because over time it's going to be because you're going to kiss a lot of frogs, even when hiring people. Uh, yeah. They may be great at technical skills, horrible personality. You may need to let them let them go or the other way around. They have amazing personalities, but they don't have the capacity to learn and capability of learning. So it's great that they have they have a big smile on their face, but they don't know the technical ability of delivering service, you know, right. that level of support uh, to that customers. So it, even though you're, you're making that people decision, doesn't mean that you'll get there faster because that's the logic, right? If I double up my staff, you know, IT told me it will take them three months, at, at least I'm gonna, no, you're gonna actually gain more issues, you know, that you need to solve. Yeah. And one, you have to hire these people and then you have to, let some of them go because they're not a good fit because you made a quick hiring decision. Uh, you know, all of those things play into that. So it's not, a, it's never any of those kind of quick decisions are very bad decisions. It typically in the long run actually ends up hurting the company doesn't help it, you know, where you thought it would be, Oh, doubling the staff, I'm going to double my capacity. Yep, absolutely. And a lot of times the, the SMBs, feel forced to make those quick decisions, right? Because they're typically in a race with competition or a race to get to market, whatever it may be. They feel like they've got to go way too fast, right? So it's always easy to just throw a bunch of people in here that's not a three-month, six-month implementation. So yeah, 100% agree. Yeah, I mean, some of the challenges I've found like in, in small to medium-sized businesses has to do with a technology decision they made initially, right? When, when it was five people, Kelly and Austin, when it was just two, uh, two people or five people, right? Yeah. You made certain decisions to go like, okay, you know what? For now, let's use Notion. Let's use Basecamp. Let's use, you know, let's use, uh, uh, I, I don't know, Google Apps is fine for now. Let's just use that, right? Sure. Uh, quick, uh, oh, your accountant, you have a bookkeeper says, oh, you know what? I, I, I know how to use, uh, you know, QuickBooks. So get me that. I'll put all of the stuff in there, right? So you get QuickBooks. There are certain decisions you make in the early part of your uh, small business life that some of them lurk around, right? Sure. Yep. And then the problem with lurking around is you have a ton of data and content into that thing, whatever you decided, Notion or Basecamp or whatever, depending on what you needed to do. And now time comes that now you are a not a you're not a medium-sized business yet, but you are a growing small business. Right. You have gone from five people that those pieces of software, even though it was a nuisance, it worked. It was fine. Right. Yeah. Now you have gone to now Kelly Austin is is 15 to 20 people. Right. 
and and uh, certain software don't allow you to do user management or role management or any of those kinds of things, right? Now it's starting to hit you. We want specific roles for marketing people, specific roles for salespeople, specific roles for formulators and product developers and the warehouse people need to have a very specific set of things. But the decisions you made in that early days and now you're kind of stuck because a lot of that data is in there, right? Can you give examples of like, because every company goes through that. Every sure. Almost every company goes through it where uh, QuickBooks or the online QuickBooks is not enough. And now you have to go to maybe something like NetSuite or Salesforce and stuff like that, that transition. Uh, what are some of those challenges that you face when, when, it's, when you know, when you should know that that's a critical point right there for you as a company for you to transition, bite the bullet and make the transition? Yeah, so it, we see this a lot with professional services firms, and we can speak really well to it because because we are one, right? So here's what happens when professional service firms first start, right? You need something to manage projects. All right, what do you go with? A Trello, a Basecamp, Asana. Uh, Smart Smartsheet, Asana, you know, something like that. Okay, now where are you going to bill your time? Well, maybe we'll use like a Harvest or something else, right? Because we went with Trello and you can't bill time there, or we'll just bill time in the accounting software, Okay, where, where are you going to manage your sales then? Okay, well, we'll start with Salesforce. We'll start with HubSpot or something, you know, Pipedrive, whatever it may be. And there's these different facets of the business that have to happen. And you typically just pick something and, and go, right? And so then we'll talk to professional services firm working with one right now that's, that's merging orgs because there was just an acquisition um, in the technology professional services space down here in Texas. And they're their owner, kind of the person who founded the company, built his own project management software on, on you know, custom software that he built. And he, he loves it, right? He wants to keep it. Well, the company- That's now, his baby. Yeah. The company now has <laughs> 400 employees and they're all looking at this like, how am I supposed to use this thing, you know? And so then I'm asking, okay, that's great that you're using that. How does that tie back in? Like, how are you pushing sales there afterwards? Oh, we don't. It's just manual entry. Okay, how, how does it tie to accounting for like invoices and, and, and how does that work? Well, we don't. It's just manual entry and double check. And then so like you start talking through these things and it's, you can just hear the inefficiencies when people talk through it. And, the, and most of people know it, right? When you actually think through it, how many windows do I have open on my screen at a time, right? The, the real, the, the, the kind of inflection point that I would point to um, that you asked about is... When do you get to a, an analytics visibility standpoint when you know you need this data to continue scaling your business and you can't access it? For example, when it's early on, right, you're just trying to, to make things happen. Get sales in the door. It's friends and family. It's old business referrals. You're just trying to manage a project so it doesn't fail. You're just trying to hopefully get paid you know, before something's 30 days overdue. But once you hit that scale and you're like, why can I not look at these projects and understand profitability metrics, right? I need that to know if I need to hire more people. Or you look at it and you're like, how, how am I looking at all of our account management? And I've got no clue who is overdue on payment. And I've got to go sift through this system or, or ask my accountant to sift through it, right? There's no way. I don't know what cash flow is. Can we hire more people? Do I need more sales? Do I not need more sales, right? As soon as you hit that, that point of where you understand I'm missing it visibility into analytics across the multiple pieces of my business because they're now all big enough to matter that's when that's when we typically see we get phone calls and we're like okay 
now we have a problem because we've got stuff in, in 10 disparate systems and they all kind of work and none of them really talk to each other, right? Maybe one or two do, but the others don't. So we've just got this unconnected system. We've just got data everywhere and really none of it does us any good except for when we're looking at it in that, in that microscope. You know, it, uh, you kind of reminded me of, of a, an excellent point in what you just said, right? What I see from my career, right, you know, for of, of almost 30 years now, right? Sure. The companies that have a very technically savvy founder or co-founder, right? Very technically savvy, meaning that anything you want them to do, they'll sit, uh, sit down and write the Python code, PHP, Java, C-sharp, Sure. Objective C, Swift, you throw anything at them. They're fabulous, right? They'll they'll do magic around that. That's where you have the most trouble. Yeah. <laughs> you know, first of all, you know, it, it, it costs for me any of the SaaS solutions. I think that it's lesser of the two evils is going with the solution that's already existing in the marketplace. For $10 a month, it gives you some functionality that's going to help you right now, maybe for the next year or two right? Yep. That's fine. Yep. Pay up the $10 because maintaining that code that that guy wrote and maybe that, that person that wrote it, their day-to-day -day job is not that. Their day-to-day -day job is to be the closer for these high-profile clients. That's when they sign up the $1 million, $2 million scopes. Not that they're not available because they're fixing a code because the invoices are not getting printed you know, properly, right? That's yep. where you have a gigantic misalignment in, in the organization where the person who is supposed to be closing a million, $2 million scopes is too busy band-aiding whatever code that they wrote and nobody else understands that code because you never hired anybody else because that person was supposed to be fixing it all the time. Yep. So when, when you have that sort of a disparity, I, I think that that's another signal. In the very beginning, I, I ask my clients when they sign up because I help them with growth, right? One of the things that are detriment to growth is not knowing what you are supposed to do and what you're not supposed to do. And in most cases, I would say 99% of the time, it's what not to do list, not to do list is more important than the to do list. In most organizations, there will be things like three things we would like to achieve this year. That's it, right. three things. If you focus on those three things, you will do amazingly well. If you don't focus on this list of not to-do list, like literally as the owner of the company, you should have two lists. When somebody comes to you and says, we should be doing this, think about it. Does that fall into the three things we should be doing this year? No, it does not. It goes on the not to-do list. And <laughs> do your best and fight tooth and nail every day to make sure that it doesn't get done, <laughs> you know? Sure. You know, yeah. it's something that I, I've learned over, over my years that like in that example you just gave, and if that was a co-founder, two co-founders, right? Mm -hmm. uh, one of them is amazing at sales and marketing. That's how they met. And the other person is amazing at technology, but they run a professional services to deliver that. What is the role of that technology person? Because in, in most cases, that person becomes the IT support. Right. Early and on. and yep. they're not doing the right thing. Like, can you hire somebody for $30 an hour to provide IT support for help desk for the organization? It shouldn't be that person. shouldn't be the co-founder. That co-founder should be focused on the bigger fish they need to fry. Like, 
this year they need to close $10 million in business and they will be the closers for it. That's their role. Even though they're technologists, they're not in sales. Maybe they need to do some kind of tech sales and, or something like that. Sure. Yep. And yeah, we, 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 see, we see that all the time when people come to us and it's like, okay, here's the problem. We've outgrown the ability for the founder to manage all our systems, right? Because that, that's what they did, right? especially with our tech, tech clients where they built a lot of the platform, right? And so now they're, they're in there trying to get all the data. Someone needs a, a report. They've got to go run, you know, run a SQL query on it because they're the only one that knows how, Th- things like that. Um, so it's, it's absolutely another tipping point where people come to us and say, okay, I need, we need actual real systems, a connected platform because we can't, can't focus on uh, or can't uh, rely on the founder just to be able to handle it all at that point. Earlier, you mentioned FinTech uh, as an example, right? Can you share a case study of a business in the finance industry that you have helped uh, with Salesforce? Sure. Give us so, the before and, uh, and after, you know, both sides. Sure. So, um, I'll speak to a, uh, it's kind of interesting. So insurance falls to, um, into, to finance the way Salesforce does verticals. So, um, it's a kind of insure tech, uh, firm that we're working with right now. And they originally came to us, um, marketing issues was big thing for them, right? So they do, um, small business insurance, right? So they're marketing to, to these small businesses and a lot of the issues that they were having was connecting with customers from a marketing automation standpoint post the initial signup, right? So a lot of people think of the marketing automation just for upfront and converting leads, right? Nurturing leads, waiting till someone raises their hand so then you can turn it over to an AE. And it's great for that, right? And Salesforce has some awesome tools where we can personalize the website based on behavior and do all these cool things to be able to nurture leads from a marketing automation standpoint. But this client was struggling with following up with those clients after they signed up through the onboarding journey. And then as they go through for things like cross-sell, upsell, those types of things, right? So they're relying on the sales team to be able to go out and and reaching out to these hundreds, thousands of customers and and being able to to speak to them about cross-sell, upsell, you know, how are you doing, just pure account management stuff, all, all those things, right? So we, we went in and we, we developed several marketing automation journeys for them to where based on behavior, based on timelines, based on like contract coming up, those types of things, where we're hitting them early with this marketing automation, we've got what's called journeys, right? Where they're going down these steps. It's 120 days before their policy's up, right? So we want to send out an email and let them know, hey, here's potential changes. Hey, have you been thinking about this type of insurance? Do you want to add it? 90 days hits, another thing happens, right? And along the way, if they're interacting with that email by clicking, you know, maybe in that 90 day email, we, t- we speak about um, a certain type of insurance that, uh, that they don't have already. They click that email, we've got interaction there. Now we've got sales team involved to come talk about that insurance along with the renewals team, right? And a lot of companies do sales and renewals together, but some people split it. Regardless, we're getting out in front of that opposed to just getting to like the 15, 20 day mark and say, Hey, are you renewing or not? We're talking about it early with the marketing automation and we're pitching, pitching that upsell early, right? Trying to get, get involved uh, before it just comes down to, Hey, here's your price to renew. Do you want to add anything, right? That education upfront. Um, and that can span across multiple industries, obviously, 
but um, we, we've seen a lot of success with that in, in fintech specifically. So let's change the industry, right? Sure. Uh, and this one, I think, has a lot of complications, at least from my view, right? Uh, and that's the construction industry. Like, let's say home construction, right? Sure. Uh, home construction has, you know, you have the contractors, you have the architects, you have the people who are actually doing the work, right? And yep. then uh, every bit of anything you do needs a permit, needs a license, needs to be approved, electrical, plumbing, uh, cement, the cement guy is late, you know, the uh, you're not getting enough logs because we had, uh, you know, COVID lockdown in the very beginning, all yep. sorts of problems. And sure. there are in your workflow as a construction company, you face a lot of challenges, right? Uh, you know, even a small nut and bolt that you need for the entire house is no longer available. What do you do? You know, right? you cannot bypass that, you know, because yep. that's the compliant standard thing that the your department of building and the government is expecting you to have. And if you don't have it, that's an illegal uh, structure, right? Sure. So things like that. There are a lot of complications. You work with subcontractors, contractors, you have your own people, then you have inspectors and you have people who... Uh, architects that that draw up the drawings and other people who actually implement it and stuff. There's a lot of workflow. There are a lot of processes. There are a lot of laws, regulations, and rightfully so, right? You have all all those kinds of things. Can you share a case study in the kind of the construction industry with everything that I just described that went from, because you can imagine like in a world that doesn't use computers or uses spreadsheets to handle that, it's a nightmare, right? Yep. Uh, and things could fall apart and that could mean fines and or shutdowns you know, of, of projects to utilizing Salesforce with the right workflow and, and how did the before and after change? Yeah, to your point, construction is probably where we see the, the, um, the largest lag behind adopting technology for things like CRM and project management, et cetera. They're typically ones where we get on the call and they're like, if they're using spreadsheets, it's a good thing. <laughs> a lot of times it's it's post-it notes, any kind white, of whiteboards, right? If if we got anything going on, it's not printed out paper, scribbled on notes in a, in a guy's truck somewhere. We're doing we're doing something well. So, but that means there's so much room for improvement in that industry, right? We're working with with a a home builder right now who was literally using write your name on the back of a card to start, right? Like there's there's so much room for improvement. So, um, <clears throat> here's some of the benefits, right? there are typically multiple systems involved with construction companies like that. Cause even that, even though they're, they're CRM in, in tech and some stuff around that they're lagging behind, they're all now using some type of construction software. Right. And, and sometimes it's, it's multiple where you have to like plan out estimates. So it's like estimating software and then you go into additional software to procure products or whatever it may be. But there's typical, typically multiple systems involved. And then they're using the post-it notes and spreadsheets as well to manage like the contracts and the sale and that type of thing. So what we're doing right now, we're trying to handle multiple parts of the process in a phased approach. And that's something I, I like to harp on with customers. When you work with companies like Salesforce or any, any technology that has multiple products, oftentimes you can get big eyed and see all these cool things you can do and want to do it all at once, right? Take, take the, on the whole product suite and fix all these parts of my business. It's a recipe for, for failure, trying to do too much at once. You've got to phase it out. So phased approach with this company is we're trying to tackle the, the first part of the sales process first, which is someone's interested in the home. 
how do we get all of the details for their interests and how do we use the technology to work them all the way through contract, okay? Any of these industries that have these big contracts, right? Home, buying a home, you know, tens and tens of pages. Finance, insurance, tens and tens of pages. One of the big things that we always push is document uh, generation out of Salesforce. So you capture all of this data in Salesforce or we capture all of it in a different online form provider like a form stack. And then we build out the documents where we hit a button and it merges into those documents. So much efficiency gets saved with technology like that. First step is take, getting that data in um, from the web, period, right? Opposed to handing someone a form and asking them to fill it out, right? <laughs> we got to start there by, by getting the data in um, first from a technology perspective, either web form or whatever it may be. And then that document generation side is another big, big time improver because you don't have to enter the data multiple times. So we're in that step right now where we get all that information, we're generating the contracts, but then what we're seeing right now in the home industry is people will sign a contract and back out before the home is built, right? Interest rates jumped on them like crazy mm -hmm. over the last six months, or you get cold feet, or maybe you found a different home that you like, right? That's a long process in building a home. So what are we doing to ensure that we keep tight with that customer and they're not going to back out of the contract? Well, well, first, we want to make sure we're measuring why people are backing out so that we can attack those things, right? If we don't have that data, then we're just shooting in the dark anyways. So we're making sure that we're, we're um, measuring that data so that as over time, we can solve more of these challenges. But off the top of, the off the top of our head, we know that people are backing out oftentimes because there's not a tight enough relationship on what's the status of my build, right? Am I excited about it? If you don't hear about it for a long time, you tend to not get as excited. Like I'm waiting on a, a, a vehicle right now, right? That I ordered like a year and a half ago, right? I get real <laughs> excited when I get a biweekly email or it's like, hey, your, your order's still on time, right? Hey, here's some cool things to do. Like you can come do a test drive. That's preventing me from not going and buying a new vehicle just like what we're trying to do with them as we go through the construction phases. Hey, your, your foundation's being poured. Hey, look at this cool, you know, someone in the, in the neighborhood did this with their house. Do you want to upgrade? Do you want to do a change order for things like that? Right. Keeping them up, keeping that, those touch points prevalent throughout that six month process is extremely important for them not to eventually back out for one of those multitude of reasons. So that's where we're kind of focusing right now. And then the end goal is to have all of those systems integrated from construction, from finance as well, and all of those things. But we're trying to attack that main problem right now. I want to make two points there. I think uh, a lot of industries can learn quite a lot from even a very basic, uh, you know, basic, uh, very commodity type company like Pizza Hut, right? Yeah. When you place an order for your pizza, uh, on the app, it tells you, oh, we got your order. We're working on it. Uh, you know, we, we just made the pizza. We're putting it into the oven, yep. right? It's coming out of the oven. Uh, you know, it got picked up. It, the guy is on his way. And then even then it says, oh, the guy is 30 seconds away from you. And then you're ready to open the door and get your pizza, right? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, just learning that lesson when it comes to construction, I, and you're absolutely right. I mean, if it's a year away, for you to get into this brand new home that you bought because you love the model home, you loved, you made all of the tweaks about, you know, the doorknobs and this and that and whatever, right? Um, go through the process, like take them, keep them 
with you throughout that journey. Not like, oh, they gave me the contract. All right, see you a year from now. You know, we'll build your house. Go through the process of, oh, you're, you know, you know all the doorknobs that you had selected, this one, we it's already ordered, it's coming in, right? To yep. the foundation is getting poured, the plumbing is getting done. Oh, Anderson, you know, Anderson Renewal and Anderson Windows is coming. That's the only company I know that makes windows, <laughs> by the way. I, my knowledge is very limited in the construction. They've done well. Right? They, they've, do, they've done good, well. Good brand. No, actually, the guy keeps on dropping off their cards uh, in my home. So that's how I know. <laughs> there you go. So they, they give you, they give you uh, you know, that step by step so that when you are, and maybe during those things, if it's stable enough, that you could have, even if it's a raw, because there are, I've been to open houses where the house is still raw, but it is walkable. Sure. Why isn't that open to the owners for them to come and walk through the backyard or even stand in the front yard and look at how the construction is going and stuff like that, right? Yep. So I, I think that communication part of that is, is key in that process to keep them engaged, right? Obviously, I mean, there are external factors. I mean, the year that we are living in right now in 2023, we have had numerous increases in, in mortgage rates and we have had uh, other supply chain issues like logs and doors that are supposed to come from overseas are they're having problems with those kinds of things, right? Yep. So there are real world problems that do get in the way. But outside of that, what are you doing? The things that are under your control as the owner of that construction company what things are you doing to alleviate some of the worries that the the people might have? If there is a slippage, I think communication is the biggest thing that you could do to, to make sure that people are aligned on, okay, you know what, there's a slip and here's the reason why. But you were part of the journey. It's a lot easier to take than not hearing from the construction company for six months and then they drop drop a bomb on you to tell you, that you know what you we said that the house will be completed by July. Now it's going to be next April. You know. <laughs> yep. Yeah. So. Co communication uh, is if if your company is not focused on communication with the customer and the client, you are so far behind. And that just got accelerated during COVID, right? Because it was a it was an emphasis for everyone because it had to be. And so if if you didn't improve at that point either. You are, you are so far behind now because the customer is expected to hear from you, whether, whether you're B2C or B2B, doesn't matter. Every, they're expecting communication along the way. And if they don't hear from you, they have one, one thought, and that's that something's wrong, right? That's why you're not communicating with me. Something is wrong. From a personal perspective, the vast majority of the time we talk to clients that want to switch from their current consulting firm, it's because of poor communication. That's, I mean, before I even get on the call, I can, I can guess that's, that's why they're not happy. Um, so it's something that we harp on with our team and with our clients. It's something that we, we preach, but from a, from a tactical perspective, build automation around. So that's why we're telling this construction company, having this data in Salesforce, right? Where we're tracking the stages and everything in the platform and the data allows us to trigger automation off of it. We don't have to have someone in the office looking and, and going and emailing Sally because her home moved to the next phase. We'll just trigger automation off of it because construction, the construction team did their job and entered that information. So now we can tell her and you set it up one time and it's, it's done and it runs for everyone. Um, but th those little things around communication matter. They matter a ton. Yeah. I mean, a, a simple photo on your iPhone, 
about how it's going, I think tells a thousand words, right? Yeah. So like, oh, by the way, we just took a, a photo of this. This is this is how how the project is coming along. As you can see, the front, the back, the blah blah blah. The bathroom is getting poured in. The basement is finished. Whatever. Oh, great! It's it's moving along. I can see it, right? It doesn't have to be even words. You can send me photos. You know, send send it to me over SMS. You know, I I get the photo. I look at it. Go like, wow, this is incredible. They're making good progress, right? And you're yep. so right about communication, especially in professional services, right? Where if you if you don't communicate when there is problem, right? Then it turns into two things. One, why aren't they communicating? Because they messed up big time, right? Yep. Right. So that's one. And the length of time that actually expires that that you didn't communicate, now what was supposed to be a bad thing, bad news that you would be communicating. The client thinks now you're lying. Sure. Right. It, yeah. it transitions very quickly to that. Yeah. At first, they were trying to hide it from me. Now they're lying to me, even though now you are coming back with some sort of solution. Now you're trying to cover it up. Now that's, yeah. a, that's a very formulated lie, you know? Yeah. And if you think about it from the consumer side, like if you order something online and then two days later, you get an email that says, hey, sorry, the shipment's been delayed. It's going to get there two days later. You're oftentimes not upset about that, right? You, you understand those things happen. You were communicated with. But if you were expecting it to show up on your door in five days and it's the sixth day and you haven't heard anything, you're really upset, right? You think it's lost. You, like it, it changes the whole, whole tone of how you think of it. It's no different on, on the business side of things either. It's, it's thought about the exact same way. So we're talking about communication, right? So I want to tackle communication industry, right? Sure. And and communication industry is an interesting industry where a lot of other industries have morphed into communication industry. Media companies are communication industry, right? Yep. Uh, social media and other types of agencies also call themselves communication industry because they are they're communicating whether it's PR or stuff like that. Companies like Cisco, which is a tech company, right? C-I-S-C-O, not the chicken company, right? <laughs> so, no, not, not chicken. I think they do something else. S-Y-S-C-O. I'm not talking about that one. I'm talking about yeah. Cisco, the equipment company, right? Yeah. Networking equipment. They also call themselves communication because they handle network hubs and routers and Wi-Fi and mesh and all sorts of things like that. So when it comes to communication industry, can you share an example of, first of all, what type of a communication industry company uh, is it and, and how did uh, transitioning into like a, a solution and workflows related to like Salesforce help them uh, grow out of their growing pains? Sure. Can I use telecommunications? Good. Fair enough. Yeah. Perfect. Yeah. All right. Let's go with telecommunications. So we've, we've recently rolled out fairly large, large product with the telecommunications company on the West Coast. Um, and big thing for them and a lot of other telecommunications company is resellers right? Resellers of their telecommunication service. So they've got all of these people and they're literally out on, on the street. Um, they, they've got sellers out on the street that aren't technically their employees, right? But they're reselling their service. And so what we've rolled out for them, uh, Salesforce's product is called Experience Cloud, but the way to think of it is like a portal, right? That's the word that most people understand is, is a portal. So the, the benefit that we have there is that we can build out all this technology on, on the sales side for them in-house to manage their sales process, manage their sales pipeline. But then using the portal technology, we can expose that to all of these resellers 
to where they don't they don't have like full access to Salesforce. They're not logging into like that company's Salesforce org, but we just give them their own little window. It's like their own little personal sales hub where they can go through, but we can we have control over everything that they can do inside of it. Right. So we are pushing them down the that kind of opportunity sales funnel and those stages that we want them to run through. Anytime they put in a new lead or opportunity, we have immediate access to it where we can we can work off of that and say, you know, oh, that's either not a good lead or we can see all of their metrics. But it allows us to enable that kind of external and additional sales force. Um, with the technology that we've already built out and then we've got full control over it. Uh, it also allows us to push information for them, right? If something new comes out for the technology or there's a new spiff, right? Uh, um, sales contest, for those of you not familiar with the, the word spiff, um, we, can, we can push all that information out over that portal, right? It's a communication hub. It's a hub for them to monitor sales, all those things. Um, so it's extremely beneficial and allows us to enable thousands of resellers um, but working out of our platform. What we have a lot of people do with resellers is they go do all their leads and they're working everything. And then what happens every month they send the spreadsheet over, Hey, here are the leads that I'm working on. You have no real time visibility at all, um, for any of that. Wow. Yeah. Um, now, now I'm going to tackle two industries. Uh, I'm going to challenge you with two different industries. Okay. Both of them are highly bureaucratic, right? Sure. Uh, and from my experience, uh, those are the two industries are, you know, typically it's very hard for them to adopt any any kind of a, uh, a new technology, a new platform. It's just because they are just behemoths. And plus, a lot of it has not much to do with the institution that you that's your client. It has to do with the whole infrastructure around them. Right. Sure. Uh, and one of those industries is like the healthcare industry. Right. If you want to sell something into a hospital system, that's very challenging. Right. And, and for them to actually put in those kind of workflows and to put it to do all the things that we have discussed over the past 50 minutes now, right? In other industries, you, you're faced with another level, like it's even harder than construction industry, for example, right? Yeah. Uh, to, to handle uh, insurance companies in the healthcare, right? Insurance companies. Now you're working with private practitioners and people who work for you as doctors and nurses and and, and you have nurse strikes, doctor strikes. And there's a lot of complications there, right? Uh, with unions and, and such things like that. Uh, and, and for example, if a union is involved and now you have this other system, how does that affect their members, right? Does it mean that they're working less, they're earning less, or, or, or if you're teaching them something new, are they earning more, right? Sure. There are a lot of complicated questions like that. It's not, it's, I'm not saying, in, in this uh, 60 minute interview, we'll resolve all of that. <laughs> you know, I right. might resolve it in future with another guest, you know, <laughs> take a deep dive into healthcare. But uh, keeping the conversation focused more on uh, like a case study in the healthcare industry, because I'm sure that we have, um, you know, audience members who come from that industry, that to see how, how does the workflow can be changed using Salesforce in the healthcare industry that we can, that would help enhance. Or, or to deliver better patient care and better uh, service delivery to, to an organization like a healthcare company. Sure, and so let me use an example of the uh, company we're working with, it's a healthcare provider, right? So, so Salesforce kind of breaks them up into provider, payer, um, med device. So, so they're a, a provider, 14 kind of clinic system um, up in the Northeast. 
And this is something that we see with a lot of our clients on the health in the healthcare industry. And you're, you're dead on. Healthcare is one of the hardest places to sell new technology into, right? Lots of hoops to jump through. You're dealing with PHI and HIPAA and all the regulations around that. So there, there's a lot that goes into it. But again, a lot, lot of areas for improvement, which can be fun and exciting. What we always preach is system of record and system of engagement, all right? So what a lot of people will try to do is use their EHR or EMR data or that platform for everything, right? That's kind of where they start. They just manage everything about out of the EMR or EHR. But those systems aren't built for you to really manage the patient experience, right? Those are, those are built for, for health records and appointment setting and insurance and all those, all those things that you have to deal with. So what we say is leave that as your system of record, right? You need that. But then use something like Salesforce for your system of engagement, because that's a platform built for you to be walking the customer through initial onboarding, right? And sorry, onboarding is a, a, a poor choice of words, but um, the, the initial uh, analysis of everything going on, if they're going to actually come into your clinic, et cetera, what they need, setting up that initial appointment, right? Taking everything from lead up until that point of, okay, they're going to become a patient. We'll let the EMR handle that, that side of things at that point. And then I'll just use Salesforce. Salesforce on the other side is handling the follow-ups, right? Did they show up to their appointment? Why not? Let's message them, right? We need them here. Are they on a specific type of health plan? Let's let Salesforce manage that health plan and all those steps that goes through because we can build in all that automation around it, tracking, the marketing side of things, right? We can, we can do all of it on that side. So what we've done with this company is that we're taking that data from the EMR and pushing it into Salesforce. So then we can action on it with the Salesforce platform, right? And some of that's a metrics thing too. They're getting a lot of metrics from there. Naturally, the EMR, EHR systems of the world don't have awesome reporting engines, right? They're, they're usually not very custom, customizable. So we push that data into something like Salesforce. We can now see that data how we want to. We can action on it. And then we can use it to build our engagement layer off of. So that's the big thing that we preach on the healthcare side. When we talk to like med device companies and that type of thing, they're mainly just sales, sales teams anyways. They're a little bit easier. They understand the CRM. But that's the big push on the provider side. System of record, system of engagement. Let the two do their own thing. They've got to talk to each other for it to be really done correctly. But that's another industry where if your patients aren't uh, being communicated with like overly, then, then they're going to leave. They're going to go find somewhere else. Uh, if your patient portal isn't really strong, if it's not easy to access, they're going to go find somewhere else. Like it's, there's an extremely high level of expectation around communication um, from consumers right now in, in things like the healthcare industry. You know, it's, it's funny that uh, it's not so funny, but it's funny because uh, every TV sitcom uh, has an episode where one of the lead characters is waiting for the doctor or the hospital to call them back for some test result, sure. whatever that test result is. And, and, and it's funny. It's funny because all the sitcom writers know that's a pain point yeah. <laughs> for every patient in the world, right? When they're the anxiety that you get when you're not being communicated to and they turn it into an episode that has to do with the, one of the main characters that's waiting to hear a DNA test to 
any kind of a, you know, some kind of a disease type of a test results or whatever to see what they need to do uh, about it and stuff like that. So th that has become like a table stakes for every sitcom <laughs> that's out yeah. there. And it has made it, that communication pain point has made it into sitcoms. You know? Sure. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> it's true. <laughs> so, I mean, briefly, I, I do want to talk about another industry. Uh, and, and if you could give me a quick example uh, or a case study uh, in the education. Education has, uh, it's another, just like healthcare, education is a, unless it's a private education company, I'm saying uh, public education uh, that's related to the government tends to be a, uh, has its own complications. You have your teacher's union, you have, you have uh, you know, bureaucracy around the schools itself. I'm actually, uh, I'm, I'm, a, I'm part of the board of directors for a charter school where I live, right, to, to advise them on digital and social marketing. That's what I do as a volunteer. But there is a lot of bureaucracy around uh, education, right? And then when you think about education, how, how has uh, like the solutions you have implemented using Salesforce help, help alleviate some of those challenges? So the, there's, there's several, and we work with some, some large public orgs where we're doing things like random stuff, like working with the building out systems so that their professors who are uh, getting patents we can manage their, their royalty payments and stuff like that, right? Like some stuff that's, that's out there too. But what we're seeing a lot is improving is student experience through that portal, right? Another use case for the portals, similar to what I was talking about with the resellers and telecommunication, but instead we're repurposing that portal for onboarding experience for things like student information could be all the way down to like grade information, you know, whatever it may be. But customizing that portals where they have something to go to so they feel connected to that institution is really important, right? And it's, I'm not just talking about like your blackboards of the world where you're logging into a portal to get, you know, class information. This is, this is university information that we're, we're pushing out there. Those portals have seen a big one that, that we've seen because now these companies are there or sorry, not companies, but these institutions are competing with a lot of this online learning that's come up over the past as well, right? So they wanna make sure that they've got a real relationship with the student, all these cool things that they can be doing on campus, the benefit of, of being on campus opposed to just at home, just checking the box on the on a diploma. So um, I know that's a quick example, but um, that, that's where we've seen a lot on the education side recently. So Hunter, you have shared with us like so many rich <laughs> examples and case studies across so many different industries that we just talked about. So many amazing uh, points and, and kind of, uh, you know, not only growing pains, but solutions too. But what is your number one, like $100,000 expert insight into like, because you've been helping companies that are going through their growing pains and the solution that you usually implement has to do with Salesforce. But what is that expert insight that you can share? What is that one thing that you want those entrepreneurs, whether they're running, uh, you know, small businesses to growing businesses like medium-sized businesses, that they should be aware of that they can take away from this episode? So here's what I'll say: in a, it'll um, it'll net to 100k because I think it saves you 50 and makes you 50. All right. When we, I, I'm willing to bet it's going to be a, a lot more than yeah, well, it's sure. going to have dividends over yeah, the I, years. I, I, Absolutely. It will be a million dollars, not hundred thousand. Absolutely. Um, <laughs> the the what we see when people implement new technology or need new technology, et cetera, et cetera, is 
the executives are involved in the evaluation process, the executives sign the contract, and then they hand it over to the team to figure it out and make it work, right? And it's the, the absolute wrong way to handle this process. You've got to involve the end users who you're expecting to adopt this technology early on in the process and especially in the build. For companies that we work with that don't wanna bring the sales team in until training time at all to get their opinion on anything and you're just going off of what the VP of sales thinks they want their sales pipeline to look like and work, then they come back to us you know, months later and they don't understand why the sales team doesn't want to adopt the system. Well, you didn't involve them, right? You're not asking them, is this working for them? Does this make you do your job better? Salespeople care about one thing and that's making more money. And if you put technology in front of them without showing them, hey, this is how you're going to help. This is how you're going to get better at your job and allow me to help you get better at your job, therefore making you more money. They're not going to do it, right? Like you'll enforce this behavior. People always like to say, if it's not in Salesforce, it, do it doesn't exist. And it's just an awful way to think about it because you're, you're never going to get real technology adoption thinking about it that way, because what's going to happen? What's going to happen is that on Friday afternoon, that salesperson is going to go enter in their data that they could remember at the time because they don't want to get a slap on the wrist, right? Opposed to actually asking them, what can we build? What, do you, what are the, the little manual things that you hate about your day-to-day -day that we could, we could automate, right? Does this work for you? Does this make sense, right? Is this going to help you sell more? Involving the team that you're asking to adopt the technology will help you get more out of it because technology can improve the, the top line and bottom line, no doubt, right? So it'll help on that side. And then it'll help ensure that you don't waste all this money that you're investing in the technology that you're buying and the time and resources to build out that technology. So that's, that's my $100,000 tip. Involve the team, ask for constant feedback and ensure that they're getting out of the technology what you want them to. I mean, that, that's an, an excellent point. Like, I mean, the, the very thing we just covered has to do with communication. It's, the communication just cannot be just for your customers. It has to be internal communication also, with, especially with the sales force that's going to be using your people that will be using the platform. If you bought that thing and built it, who was involved in that building process, right? You need to make sure that you involve the people so they can say that, oh, you know, in my day-to-day -day job and, and in the day in the life of, right, of right. a salesperson, these are the 10 things I do and this is my process, right? If I can automate these things, that would save me an hour a day for me not to input all of that stuff or rush me to put it in every Friday night uh, and, and take up two, three hours for me to, and whatever, I want to rush through it because it's Friday night and I need to be with my family and friends and stuff, Right. Then, then nobody's winning. Then even though you may have invested in, in such a tech infrastructure like Salesforce, you, you know, that was a waste because you did not, you did not implement it uh, properly with involving the right actors that actually get to touch it. How often would that CEO go into that uh, Salesforce every day to make changes? Close to zero. Yeah. You know? They might have access to certain reports they may want to look at, right? Exactly. But those reports will be useless if the people down the downstream cannot, were not involved and they cannot do anything with that, you know? Correct. So, I mean, that's just to add on to that thought. I mean, that's a, uh, definitely more, it's worth more than $100,000, by the way, Hunter. <laughs> so definitely thank you for being here. Thank you for sharing your wisdom and also all of these data points that 
uh, that, that definitely I think uh, small to business, small, medium-sized business owners can and, and uh, executives can actually learn from those kind of things as they think about like what is going on with their company that they could actually help enhance and streamline uh, for, for better for both for top top line revenue and bottom line profitability and, 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 and better throughput out of the organization. Again, thank you, Hunter, for being here. Thanks, Sabir. Appreciate it. And thank you, audience, again, for tuning in and going through this uh, episode. We have fabulous and phenomenal uh, guests like Hunter uh, joining us, uh, you know, uh, on every episode. So keep on tuning in. Uh, if you have uh, missed any of our prior episodes, uh, you can go to uh, growthbysevere.com slash live show. That's a YouTube link. Uh, it will take you just directly to the YouTube channel that has all the episodes there for you to check out and consume whatever you like. Thank you again for joining us. Until next time.